new for you today. We have a guest. Our, should I redo that? <laughs> no, you're fine. I think it's perfect. This week on the podcast, we have infants. Yeah. Goo goo gaga. everybody welcome back to the x factor racing podcast this is our second episode today we have a full house including a guest mike mcintyre whom you also may know on twitter as gorgonzola 44 the cheese man cheesy poo whatever you want to call him he's yours for the taking about nine out of ten times mike welcome to the show and ladies, I'm going to have everybody go around and introduce themselves again. We have two of our hosts back with us this week, Caitlin and Carson. So they're going to introduce themselves and then Mike can introduce himself, tell the audience a little bit about himself. Okay, I guess I'll go first. I'm back. It's Caitlin. I'm happy to be back on with you guys. Uh, it's been crazy with all of the racing between Turfway, Keeneland, and Churchill coming back up. So definitely taking some time, finding time to make everything work. So happy to be back and a permanent member of this exciting podcast. And of course, I love all of you ladies, some of my best friends in the racing world. So happy to be back. Woo-hoo. All right, Miss Carson, you're up. Hey, well, I'm off uh, mute now. <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> Sounds like I've got the windows down, driving down the road. Um, yeah, sorry I missed out last week. Um, life is busy. Finally have a little bit of a lapse between covering stakes races as we get ready to go into the Derby from Derby qualifiers. Uh, so it was nice to have a little bit of downtime. Um, and interact a little bit more with the players that I can't do when I'm actually on the track and working. Awesome. Well, we're glad that you were able to make it uh, to be here with us this this week. We miss having you. Also, I miss having a partner in crime. I can't be the only one cussing. So, (laughs) So right. All right. Mary, tell us one great thing that happened to you in horse racing this week. Then we'll come to Gorgo. Um, Of course, I didn't play it, but I I handicapped Keeneland this week, and I had the first three winners, which was fun. Of course, I didn't play it, like I said, but, uh, you know, it was a good day of racing, some good racing across the board, nothing too exciting to report, but I think Sherry has has some, some pretty good stuff to report this weekend. Hi there. Yeah. Uh, Sherry at Go Philly back again uh, for another week. Uh, This weekend was opening at Woodbine, which was a very big deal up here in Canada. It was the first time that we actually opened on time since the pandemic hit. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of happy faces. And with the mask mandates being lifted, we actually got to see everybody's faces. And so for the first time in two years, it was really nice to reconnect with a bunch of people and it was, it was a very cold day, I'm not gonna lie. Um, we're having a very unseasonably cold spring, but that really didn't seem to affect uh, the on-track crowd. There was, there's quite a lot of people there. And it's funny because anybody that knows me here knows that I am a cheerer and I like to scream my bets home and stuff like that. And 
it was nice to actually hear other people while I was cheering this time for the first time in a couple of years. And I know that the racing has been continuous in the US and well, we haven't had that here. So I think, um, I think for a lot of people this weekend was the really start of something almost new all over again. And it was, it was really wonderful to be on site, to see people, everybody happy, cheering, everybody from grooms, hot walkers, trainers, jockeys, everybody was just happy. And I think we all, we all really needed to see that and feel it. And it was, it was a very feel good weekend. Very, very much so. That's awesome. And if you hear a jet engine going on behind me, that's my air conditioning because it's air conditioning season in Vegas, people. It's that oh, time. Way to rub it in. Thank I you. I know. I'm sorry. Honestly. I'm sorry about all that snow you East Coasters are getting, but Vegas. Yeah, it's, it's snowing outside right now. It's like a winter wonderland mid April. So I'm not going to have mid 80s. And before I forget, I totally forgot. You know, as we talk about the East Coast racing and stuff, um, I have a family friend who owns several horses that run on the New York circuit, um, one of which won this weekend at Aqueduct Woo-hoo. on Saturday. Uh, her name was Theodora Grace, um, and my friend, family friend Bob Lemon, owner of Racing Stables, uh, that's their filly, or that's their mare, and uh, she won since her, this was her first win, I think, since her maiden last year. So wow. it was exciting. It was exciting stuff, and she's a turf. Um, she's a turf mare, so turf season is back in on the East Coast, in the Northeast, which is super exciting. That is That's very- awesome. Yeah, congrats. I don't know if you heard, but Aqueduct is my new best friend. <laughs> Keelan and I are on the outs, but Aqueduct and I are in. Uh, just to note. Outs too. It's okay. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, we have had, even with just one episode being out, we've had an overwhelmingly positive response to the bod- podcast already. And if there's anything you'd like us to discuss, just head to our Twitter account at X Factor Racing. I think it's X underscore Factor Racing. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I probably am. Uh, and let us know what you would like to, you know, hear us talk about or, you know, give us some suggestions. Speaking of which, tons of suggestions coming from Gorgo, the cheese man. Hey, Mike McIntyre, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then we'll tell you why, why you're our first guest. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out is why I am the first guest. Um, but thanks for the invite, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> uh, nah, I'm just horse handicapper uh, on Twitter. And I know most of you ladies. And it was nice of you to uh, to invite me to be on your, uh, your podcast. And... Um, I mean, there's really nothing special about me, I don't think, so. Oh, oh, open the floodgates. Here we go. Let's all tell our favorite Gorgo story. Oh, my goodness. Since Gorgo's being very humble, uh, my favorite Gorgo story is this. He is trying to teach me how to structure a bet or a ticket, and we're talking about math, and if you've known me or spoken to me for five minutes, you know that that's a struggle for me, and Gorgo says, no. It's not like that. You have to multiply. Like, like the louder he gets, the more the math is going to come back to me. It was great. And eventually we got to it, but there were tears. And <laughs> all right. Next favorite Gorgo story. That, that, that's a true story. Indeed. 
actually got to meet Mike for the first time this past weekend at Keeneland. So definitely a big addition to the story. And I'd say probably the most funny part was he obviously met my significant other as well. And I was talking very loud because most of you that have met me know I have a very loud and bombastic personality anyway. And Kyle was like, why are you screaming? And I told Mike, I said, I'm so sorry. This is probably not how you expect me to be. He's like, oh, no, it's exactly how I expected you to you, be. You, you were in person. You were exactly what I envisioned you would be like. The, the only thing that threw me back from when we met at Keeneland was I didn't realize that you had twin boyfriends. And I couldn't, I, that was distracting. Not, not knowing that there was a Carl to the Kyle. That was a little that was a little overwhelming i kept looking at the wrong guy <laughs> i don't know what to say uh, so, wait a minute back up we got twins dating we got a two right? for caitlin they, and they they look at their they're identical twins how old are they what are y'all like 25 um, to 30 yeah, we're all 327 and they are dead ringers for each other. Yeah, so. you know, normally when twins get older, they start to look different. Nope, not these guys. They, they were, they're spitting images of each other. I well, didn't even, I didn't even know that, that, that you guys were serious about that. Right? No, I'm ser that's serious. Wow. Oh my I, God, that's awesome. Once I get my hands free, um, I'll drop a picture in the chat of just how exactly they look. I'm actually about to stop and pick them up here in like 10 minutes. And we are headed down to Tennessee for a week before I move all of my stuff to Louisville. So Woo. Awesome. Good for you. Well, we'll have to hear the story about Carl and Kyle on the producer's next new podcast, Horse Racing <laughs> After Hours, because we're not allowed to talk about those things on this hour. So, <laughs> all right, Gary, um, how do you know Mike? Uh, Mike and I met quite recently over Twitter. Um, we chat here and there and talk about horses and people and horse racing. Uh he actually participated in my user study for a class that I take. Uh, I did. Very helpful with that. <laughs> Criticizing the website that my group is designing. It was, it was, it was constructive criticism at your request. It was. It was very. I, I already have a slight cantankerous negative persona on Twitter. So let's make sure that you asked for my opinion <laughs> as opposed to me volunteering why it was hard to navigate in certain spots it was lovely it was lovely, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> i did ask for the constructive feedback and there was constructive feedback so yep there you go all right carson or sherry how do you know mike i'm gonna just interject here and i'm gonna say you know what i think just from what i'm hearing Twitter obviously is, has been a very positive platform in a certain way. And I'm going to say positive in quotations uh, because this is kind of how we're all meeting and interacting. And I think that that is a really cool factor that we all live in, in different places and different time zones and everything like that, but we all manage to find each other. So I, I, I love hearing these stories on how everybody connects at some point and you know, if the face-to-face -face person is the same persona as the Twitter person and, you know, I'm too old to be anything other than what I am. So what you see is what you get. And 
when I met Mike up at Woodbine 2019, I believe he said, yep. I, I didn't know him whatsoever. And there was a group of us that were there. And as, as Carson understands, when you're a mom, you have certain uh, obligations and things that you need to do. So I literally went to the backstretch, met this group of people, shoved a bunch of coffee crisps at them, uh, maple cookies, played a few raises and, and said, boom, okay, gotta go. I gotta go pick up my kid from school. So have fun. It was nice meeting you. I made sure that everybody had what they needed. And uh, ever since then, Mike actually reached out to me after that and said, hey, you know what? It was really nice to meet you and thank you for bringing the stuff. And we conversed ever since then. So, He's I mean, I only got to meet him for a short period of time, but you know what? It's amazing the impact that you can have with somebody in that short period of time. Sherry's my dealer now too. She sends me cookie crisp, uh, <laughs> uh, coffee crisp from uh, from Canada. <laughs> I am the Canadian treat lady. That's what they call me. Yep. Uh, so let's be specific on what you're dealing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She, Chris, she, that's not a code word for anything it's else. Not, it's, not a, it's not a euphemism. It is no, not. It is. It's, literal candy. it's Canadian coffee flavored candy bars. Exactly. Sounds delicious. They are there's delicious. No, there's no secret about it, but it, nice. was, it was great because uh, I, you know, with, with myself, I got to sit for a couple hours with some very intelligent handicappers. And just from that short amount of time, I learned so much. We cooked, them, we cooked them that day too. Yes. Yeah. And I managed to actually pick one shot that was really good. I bought the table around and then I'm like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> I have to go get my daughter now. But it doesn't matter. Like it was just so cool to feel that sense of belonging. And I think that, you know, with all the negativity and stuff out there, I think it's just important to bring out those positive sides. And I am grateful to have met Mike that day. And I think that we're going to be friends for a very long time. Woo All right, Carson, I you're agree. up. Hi. Sorry, I was uh, driving back from work <clears throat> myself. Um, anyway, finally seated in my home, and I have the background on for our nice That's little snazzy. Woohoo! Fancy. <clears throat> um, but I know Mike through the notorious EDR, who graciously invited, extended the invite to me for your um, handicapping group. Um, Everybody know, or I guess most people know that I do take photographs, so I'm not used to being on the other end of the camera. Um, and a little bit of handicapping goes into the photography work because we want to know who to focus on or maybe who to look for, or maybe how a certain race may be won if I want to stand on the inside rail or outside and get a longer finish shot. Um, so some of that goes into um, the photography as well. And it's a, a handy little tool and you can make some money off of it. <laughs> Nice. Not of course, but other people. Oh, your photos are beautiful. So I would imagine or hope that you are getting paid for them. So, um, all right. Now we get to tell Gorgo, Mike, I'm calling you all of the nicknames we have for you. Uh, we get to tell him why we brought him here. And it was really uh, partially due to sentimentality. You're, you're our connection right? You're the one who brought us all together. I wouldn't know the producer, Mary, Sherry, Carson, Caitlin, uh, without you, like you're, you're, uh, you're the one who brought us all together. And so we wanted to start this journey by bringing 
the person who brought us all together onto the podcast first. So you can tell us how honored and privileged you feel. Go ahead, Mike, is yours. I, I, I am both honored and privileged. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, the, it, through our mutual uh, activities and handicapping um, on, on Twitter, and uh, I mean, most of you, I'll just say most of you guys were in the contest that uh, I used to do uh, the handicap and head to head contest. Absolutely. And most of you guys were in that and just kind of put you guys together uh, to learn from other people and from a different perspective. Cause all along, uh, like when, when Ann Cora first started, she was, brand new but when I met Sherry Sherry's more of a more of a veteran um Carson's got a different perspective Caitlin we all know what Caitlin does so I just thought it was a good idea for you guys to meet and I didn't know you were going to launch a podcast so uh the that's kind of kind of cool that you guys actually got along uh so yeah I, I am honored that uh and to the general public, if, if you don't like this, it's my fault, I suppose. Um, it's not your fault. <laughs> Who would ever say that? All right, Mike, tell us how you got into handicapping, because I don't even think that this is a private discussion we've had, you know, or even on Twitter or anything like that. I'm not really sure how you got involved. I uh, dis discovered it when I was in college in a, a economics and forecasting uh, class uh, at Erskine college, go fleet. Um, anyways, that's where I discovered it. And it, the, it just kind of made sense. So I paid attention to it and it was right about the same time that, uh, my, I went to college in South Carolina, but my family lived in Alabama and Birmingham had opened up their horse track. So when I discovered I liked it and was trying to figure it out in college, I came home and, and uh, on breaks in the summer and stuff. And I would go to the Birmingham racetrack while it was open and uh, learned, learned a little more there, lost a lot more there, but realized I liked it. And I just stayed with it ever since. Uh, so I guess that was 90, 91. So pushing 30 years, I suppose. So wow. yeah, that's how, that's how I discovered it. Now, ladies, I have a million questions for him, so you're going to have to jump in over me to ask them. But my next question is this. Mike, if I'm correct, you have a degree in psychology, right? It's one of no. your degrees, or it was a no. minor? No. no. Yeah, it was a minor. Uh, my, de my degree is actually uh, in economics, but I'm no Marshall Graham that teaches it. Uh, so, uh, no, my degree is in economics, but yeah, I'm minored in a few things, and yeah, working on other things for late in life. Do you feel like the psychology minor has helped you at all with handicapping and game theory in the sport? I, I kind of have a different, I don't know how different approach it is, but there, when you, when you talk to, or at least I found when I talk to handicappers is there's really two ways of going about uh, trying to discern uh, how to handicap a race. Some are really mathematical and scientific and do their own forecasting, their own models, their own computer models, their own thing. I, and then there are others that are more visceral and uh, treat it more like uh, an art. So yeah. it can be, it can be, uh, it can be really uh, 
art versus commerce is a really good example of two ways of looking at a set of PPs, if you will. Um, and then I, just before you continue. So yeah. do you like, do you think that personally, like, do you look at your own personality and what your strengths and weaknesses are handicapping? Like, do you, like, do you look at yourself psychologically before you actually started really going hard into the handicapping? Like, I know it sounds like a really bizarre question, but I'm just, you know, like a lot of us, we all have different, different thresholds, right? Sure. So with, with, um, and Cora mentioning, you know, the psychology aspect of it, and I'm looking at races, like, would you look at yourself as an individual better first and try to put parameters in for yourself and then kind of build your strategy from there? Um, I've noticed that my, my general, the veteran, we're the veterans, right? <laughs> yeah. My, my general mood will affect, um, how I handicap some, but I mean, yeah, I always do what I consider the baseline work with, you know, class and of course surface change and you, know, right. you do all of that. I mean, when you've been doing it, you know, as long as, I mean, 30 years that you, you know, and Cora and I used to talk through a set of PPs and I can glance at it in a couple of minutes and get a general idea. And then answer our, the questions that she has and she'll be like, okay, where's that? Or where, where'd you find that? Or what was, how did you know that? Or that's just comes from experience. And that's, you know, I, there's an astute handicapper that I really respect that I just, I won't name, but I literally watched him handicap a Santa Anita pick six one time in person. And he like did it in 10 minutes. And that's when I, it dawned on me, okay, there's different ways of doing this. Um, so I, I don't usually get bogged. Like it, it, it boggles my mind when someone says, oh, it took me five hours to handicap this race card. That, that doesn't compute. <laughs> that wasn't directed at anyone. But <laughs> See, and that's kind of what I wanted to touch on with you because I had mentioned last, last week when we were talking about Kentucky Derby and what all of our plans were for it is I shut everything out. Because I don't want too much information in my brain. I know that I've watched the races. I've made my own assessments of how the races unfolded. I, I look at what I feel, who's got the biggest um, opportunity to jump up. Like I kind of have my own system in place. And so for myself, like even though that there's the 20 horses already, I kind of have the, I'm not doing the top 10 list on Twitter. I don't do that. I just kind of have in my head what I what I think and then I just kind of tweak it as it goes but I yeah. don't listen to anybody and I can handicap the derby and I'm maybe you know what right or wrong because odds are you know the majority of the time I'm wrong but I would rather spend a good half an hour and then leave it because I find if I keep going back and if I keep adding information then I start second guessing myself and then you know my mind starts spinning and then I just end up messing myself completely up yeah, and I guess well, that's where I wanted to go with you because I know that you you are a very intelligent handicapper and I just kind of wanted to pick your brain to see if sometimes maybe too much information is not a good thing. Oh yeah, you can definitely have uh, 
paralysis by analysis. But I mean, realistically, when you look at a race that, you know, every horse is supposed to be entered into the race for a reason. They're not, I mean, most racehorses don't get entered into be it a claiming race all the way up to a stakes race. I mean, even if it's as fly by night as the owner and trainer are taking a shot here, you, you can look at a, a, a set of PPs and you can, you can see a reason why a horse may belong in that race or why it's running when on paper, it doesn't look like it is, but that's, you know, I'm a firm believer in that trainers and owners don't waste horse flesh. Now, sometimes the reason might be they want to go, they want to write their trip off to Saratoga. So they're running a horse so they can write their trip off. But I mean, that happens, but it's very, very uncommon that, I mean, how many, like I used when, uh, back in the Gallup days when I was, you know, more of doing more tutorial with Ancora, what I would, I would always say to her, Thank you, um, by the way. what's that? Thank you, by the way. Well, I would always, I would always tell you, okay, the races are over and you didn't like your picks. Now go back and look at what you picked, why you picked it, and then go back and look at the winners and see, and because you'll find, I learned a lot more from the autopsy after the fact on races I didn't get correct. I mean, then the ones, I mean, yay, I got it correct. What did I learn? I, I didn't learn anything because what, the things I look at happen to be right in that race. So I always emphasize to new people to yeah. go back and do an autopsy. I don't throw my PPs away. Go back and look at it two, three days later and figure out why a horse won. You know, it's one of the... Point. Yeah. yeah one of the things on twitter you'll be like you'll see people people that you respect they'll say uh i i could have never had that horse or congratulations to you if you had that horse or you know there, there's a reason the horse won so yeah. and i always do that i always think okay you know what, what did i miss as soon as uh, right. you know like if I, that one that, that i don't have in the top four anymore right. mm -hmm. i missed and i try to learn and, and kind of build off of it mm -hmm. and yeah. you know that is some of the best advice you've ever given me, Gorgo, to go back and kind of reverse engineer my handicapping process. I'm yep. naturally a very reflective person. So that speaks to me as a teacher and, you know, just as a human being. So that it's been one of the most helpful tools uh, after a card just to go back and look at it. I know Carson had a question. Carson, do you want us to go on? Oh, yeah. There we go. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I have a, a two-part question, if you will, and I find that a lot of racing is very much a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately industry, and of course, uh, even more so now than in past decades, because these horses are only running for two years, and they get a few six wins, and then they're off to the breeding shed, so it's not, um, you know, it's a, very much about what have they done this season, or what have they done on this track, um, and I guess my question is, how do you, if you're there, you're watching a race and you get excited about a finish or it was very dramatic finish, or let's say maybe you hit big because of this horse on a, a previous card, does that play, does it, do you find it hard to pull away from betting that horse on, for X number of reasons on the next card? Um, and I guess that really ties into more emotions than anything, but that's not to say that those emotions weren't warranted by the horse succeeding or getting money for you? <laughs> I mean, I, I try not, I, I try not to be too sentimental. I mean, I have horses that I really 
for whatever reason I really like. And sometimes that reason is I, I did win a bunch of money off of them. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really have any horses that I chase or that I continually bet trying to get them to pay me back. That doesn't, that doesn't really exist. Um, there are some horses that might run back the next time I'm looking excited, uh, looking forward to betting on them from a troubled trip standpoint, or, you know, I keep a pretty, I wouldn't say well-documented, but I keep a pretty good uh, library of trips and things that I've seen. And, you know, I don't, I mainly try to play the Kentucky circuit. So I I get to know those horses a little bit better. And I pay attention to Saratoga and Belmont a little bit when they get running their better horses. But I almost, I almost never um, play California unless there's a mandatory payout. And so I I don't do a lot of chasing horses that way. Um, But yeah. You forgot Woodbine. I'm just going to mention that. I I, I play Woodbine (laughs) a little bit. I, I do play Woodbine a little bit. Um, probably more, probably more than I should. Cause I'm not, not that, not very awesome at Woodbine, but I do play it on occasion. Sure. Um, I'm just teasing you. no, it's true though. Um, wait for turf season. Yeah, exactly. That's, and uh, that actually is true is that I will play Woodbine a little more often when, when they're running on the grass, I've n- never really gotten a great handle on, on their main track, but anyways, and, I don't chase so- horses. What's that? Curious now, okay, to tie in with Carson's question about on 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 emotion with the horses, with Turfway now having Tapita, and they seem to have some horses coming from there to Woodbine. So now, would you take a look at the Wesley Ward, Brad Cox, all those people that are running at Turfway and think that they have an edge over the Woodbine horses and same surface. They have exactly the same surface. Arlington Park had a different surface than what Gulfstream and Turfway and we have. So would you bet on emotion with those horses coming in now that you follow the Kentucky Circuit, like, you know, since you previously mentioned? Maybe more so in the past, but honestly, since the last two uh, seasons where Turfway changed their synthetic, I've, I haven't really been that great at Turfway the last two seasons, the one that just ended and before that, I mean, two seasons ago when they first changed it, the track, they could never keep it from freezing and it clumped up and there was a lot of kickback and it was just a different track than it had been the years before. But years before I, 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 would, I was pretty good with Turfway. And then I realized I wasn't that good when they changed the track and then paid more attention to it this year. And I still wasn't that great with it. So, you know, I, I don't beat my head against the wall. If, you know, I'll try to figure it out, but I, I don't, I don't invest a lot of uh, my own capital into a place that I, that I, that I'm a loser. Um, so I pay a little more attention to Kentucky. And like I said, I didn't dabble very much. And really I haven't played that much this winter since, uh, since the breeders cup, because normally I would pay a lot of attention to turf way, but I wasn't good the year before. And I messed with it a little bit this year and, was slightly better, but not that much. So I, I didn't play a lot from the Breeders' Cup until the, basically until I guess when Fairgrounds opened up and the Kentucky Derby trial got uh, trail got going. Um, so I, I took off for most of November, December. I played Gulfstream a little bit around the Pegasus the week before and the week of. Um, played some Fairgrounds and 
yeah, pretty much almost, almost ignored Turfway. Um, but now that Kentucky, now that Keeneland's back open, I'll be, I'll, I'll be paying a lot of attention to Keeneland and then Churchill and then Ellis and Kentucky Downs. I, I pay a lot of attention to that. And then when Saratoga and uh, Delmar run their meets in the summer, I'm almost exclusively Saratoga with whatever's running in Kentucky, just because a lot of the shippers will be coming from Kentucky as opposed from the West coast. You just don't see a lot of cross coast shipping. And when they do, it's pretty obvious. Um, I just don't, I just don't play California very much. Um, yeah. It's just, I mean, some people can, can chase every track and are good at every track or, or at least adequate at every track. And I, I don't, I, I, I just don't do it. I don't, A, I don't have that much free time and B, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to watch horse racing, you know, six hours a night. So when my buddies are talking about, Ooh, Sam Houston or, or Charlestown, I, you guys can have it. I just don't do much late night handicapping. Um, like I used to when Turfway was running at night and I'm sorry to Caitlin about that. It's not Caitlin's fault, but that's, it was just a change of the track and I'm just, I'm just not going to, going to do that. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, I, I bet what you know and, and kind of refine it from there. Mike, how many tracks do you look at at a time? It's a Saturday. How many tracks are you looking at? Uh, Mary, when they're wide open and running, like wherever they are in Kentucky, I'll always look at. If there's a good card or I know there's a good card, like a good example is I'll, I'll look at Oak Lawn. Um, on a fair amount. I mean, yes, there's no turf, uh, no turf racing, but I'll look at Oak Lawn. Uh, so just off the top of my head, like this weekend, I'm sure I'll handicap uh, Keeneland and I'm sure I'll handicap Oak Lawn probably has the best card this Saturday. Um, Cause there's not much going on with, you know, being three weeks out from the Derby. I'll probably do those two um, in the spring. I'll Kentucky. I'll pay attention to, um, Belmont and Saratoga when they're, when they're going, I'll, I'll look at, and then I'll, I'll very rarely look at like if Santa Anita or Del Mar is going to have a mandatory, uh, payout on a pick five or a carryover on a pick five or a mandatory rainbow six or something. Um, so I'll look at two, sometimes three. I like, uh, the Maryland circuit a little bit and being from living in South Carolina, I know some of the players up in Maryland, uh, you know, Ham, Hammy Smith, uh, and his, his barns and stuff. They, they, they break a lot of horses and train a lot of horses down here, uh, in the Midlands. So I, you know, I, I pay attention to that a little bit, you know, I just, I kind of go where, and, and as I get more knowledge, uh, or connections or, or whatever, I'll pay attention. I paid more attention to fairgrounds this year than I, than I have in the past. So maybe three, four at the most. Um, sometimes I'll throw in a, throw in Woodbine if the schedule works right. Some you know I used to throw in uh, Arlington when the schedule worked right, or if there was a, like if I just thought a card was total trash and I didn't want to play it, I'd, I'd scrap the whole thing and pick a different track if I knew I was going to be investing the day to handicapping. So I mean, usually two, sometimes as many as four. Um, 
Yeah, like when the NHC guys, they got you know when they when they're looking at six and nine of eligible tracks. I don't. I, I'm more of a. I don't do it with a computer. I do PPS, uh, Brisnet, a little bit of DRF formulator, um, maybe some sheets and thorograph some just for the numbers. And so I, I don't know how people can do, I don't know how people look at, I mean, you'll see some of these guys on Twitter that have an opinion at six, seven race courses throughout the course of a Saturday. And I, I man, I don't know how you do it. So, but I don't track how they do. So maybe they don't do it. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't I'm know. Not gonna, I, I had a hard enough time doing Woodbine and Keeneland. Yeah. Not really. And you know what I mean? Like I did Keeneland the day before and I was awful at it. I had a couple that I did not so bad, but when I was at Woodbine, I find that I just wanted to be absorbed in it and I wanted to enjoy it. And I kind of paid attention to Keeneland just because I, I handicapped it. But again, I don't think that I was mentally fully there because I yeah. had already, I was already too excited about Woodbine. And I think that's kind of like a mistake sometimes that I tend to make. And, you know, it's like pick one and stick with one. When you well, start throwing all over the place that's kind of where I, I i i just i can't follow and but that's, that's okay. never that's okay for you this last weekend because there was woodbine opened back up so so it was like christmas morning for you so you 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 should have wanted to do that because that's what you love right and there are times like i two weekends ago the 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 keeneland card for the bluegrass that whole weekend i really liked all three all three of the cards on uh on friday saturday and sunday so I paid attention to those and I don't, I, I mean, I, I downloaded aqueduct to mess with and I was going to, but I liked the cards at Keeneland so much. I barely even looked at aqueduct that weekend. So, and then there are times when like uh, this past weekend, I, I didn't care for the Keeneland card on Saturday, hardly at all. I thought it was really chalky and it ended except for the two bombs. It was pretty chalky. So I, you know, I looked at Oaklawn but then that was Jackie, Jackie's Warriors race. So you knew that was going to be chalky. So it, you know, there, I don't, I don't play just because I feel like I have to have the action. There are times when there's 15 races or three or four pick fives. I might want to play on a Saturday. And then there are times point though. You know what I mean? Like as a handicapper, and I'm sure you girls can understand this. We do, we do have sentimental favorites. That's just yeah. going to happen. That's how that's how the game works. There is going to be somebody that stands out. Echo Zulu, Mary, we know, right? <laughs> yeah. There's going to be those those horses that just give you that little bit of, you know, pep in your step. But when you're mm -hmm. handicapping, I think probably the most successful thing to do, and I'm not saying I do it, it's probably what I should be doing, is look for the race where I really feel that there's a value and build your ticket around that race where you have the strongest opinion, as opposed to just trying to hit the whole card. Because the yeah. odds of you hitting the whole card are slim to none. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, like when you look at a couple of different tracks, pick the couple races that maybe stand out in your mind that are worth playing and sit out the other ones. Sitting out is one of the hardest things to learn, but it's so beneficial because then you pay more attention to what's happening in the race and you watch the race and you learn from it. Good. So I think, you know, like that's, you can look at the different tracks and you can watch them as they're racing and you can handicap and kind of visualize that is one of the biggest things. Handicap a card, don't bet a dollar. 
and see if you're and see if you're if your picks are right. That's you know, that's because a, that's, odds are. That's great advice for someone that's new. Absolutely, and the, you know the the other what else you just said that you know there's no skip a race. There, I'm a horizontal handicapper. I like pick fours, fives, and sixes. So I don't feel the need to to try to get the super in every race. And I don't concentrate on that a lot. You know, I'll play some supers or I'll play a high five, high five carryover or mandatory or something like that, just because there's a little bit of a little bit more expected value in your wagers. Um, but I play horizontally. So, um, you know, one of the sins of a horizontal horse player is you got to pick five and you're out in the first leg and you instantly think you got to pay, play back to pick four. Well, you don't necessarily is, have to. This is where I'm going to tie in Carson because Carson taking photography, she sees a lot of visual, right? Whereas with us, if we like, we rely on our minds a lot in race replays when we're structuring those pick fours and pick fives. Whereas Carson, with her being so up and close and on the rail and taking so many pictures, in your mind, you probably see like a lot of form. And you, please step in and correct me if I'm wrong, but you see things way differently than we do. We're looking at paper and you're looking at the physical specimen of the horse. Is that fair yeah. to assume? Yeah, I think so. I touched on it um, a little bit ago, um, you know, talking to you last week even. I don't know why I raced six at Keeneland on Friday and Saturday just wanted to bite me <laughs> both yeah. days. Yeah. Um, and before... Yeah, it just was like a toss. I, I just couldn't do it. Um, I, no matter what I looked at or thought about, it wasn't going to go for me. Um, but so the past few weeks, I've been trying to play more horizontal because for the past several years, I do play. Um, I'm an exacta trifecta girl. And, um, you know, it's just fun to try to hit a pick three or a pick four. And then the pick five is really just for me to look at the whole card and see how things are going. Um, I think I get a sense of looking at... Um, the day, what trainers are hot, what jockeys are firing, um, and looking at it that way with the photography, maybe they're all up there at the front. I know a couple of weeks ago, uh, no, it was Florida Derby. We had several close races and all three of those horses are right up front. They're all basically a photo, fin uh, photo finish. So how do you then go back and look at the PPs for that race and say, how did I, how did this come about, you know, how, you know, it's just one of those things. And then seeing that horse pop up in a race down the road, I might probably will stay away from that race because I'm like, Oh, well, it wasn't a solid win. So it's, I don't know. I guess that's <clears throat> where I came in sort of backwards and trying to do this. I started out doing the vertical plays and I've tried to move over to the horizontal plays. And that's where my huge learning curve is. <laughs> so with that in mind, Mike, um, I have a question for you. A long time ago, an ex of mine, I was interested in learning golf and he told me he wasn't going to teach me golf because he didn't want me to learn his bad habits. So when it comes to handicapping, Mike, what are some of your bad habits? What's one thing that you kind of gravitate toward doing and you wish you'd stop or you have to remind yourself to not do it? Well, because I play horizontally, I try to, I, I like, I try to make solid wagers. So, mm -hmm. um, I have a tendency to, when I initially handicap a card is I, I might be, because I want to make solid wagers, 
I might eliminate a horse on the fringes. I might eliminate a horse I know belongs that's on the fringes of the others. And, you know, that's certainly cost me, it's cost every good handicapper money doing that. Um, one of the things that I think is a positive of how I handicap is I always, I believe you and I even had this discussion when we said, when you look at the PPs, you say, okay, this is what the horse is doing. Now, what are the people doing? Why is this jockey jumping off of this horse onto this one? Or why is a, a, a prominent jockey riding for a small time trainer and he hasn't ridden for him in the last 60 days. So I would say, one of the most profitable things I do is pay attention to what the people, the trainers and the jockeys are doing. But I, I think that also is a detriment of mine to where uh, I will play a horse because it's the jockey's only mount of the day. Like he's got to show up at the track for some reason when he's going to show up for this horse that barely makes sense. He's not showing up for his health. He, you know, there's got to be a reason he's giving up his whole day to ride this horse. So I'm a little more forgiving to those horses. And so that's, that's a bad habit that I definitely have. Um, you know, you say that's a bad habit, but when I was just starting, I didn't even think to consider all of those aspects until you brought that up until you mentioned the jockeys, the barns, the trainers and all of that, that was so eye opening, And it was also overwhelming because I think you told me it's going to take you years to learn yeah. about the connections you, you and you the more experience you get the more like sometimes you know sometimes you just know why a, why a name brand not a name brand why a why a prominent jockey is riding a horse that doesn't look you know he's jumping off of one for another you know when when you look at like if Pletcher or Brown has two or three entered in a race and Irad and Saez and Velasquez are jumping from horse to horse that doesn't necessarily mean a lot but but it means a lot when, you know, uh, Irad is riding for Pletcher and he jumps off of a Pletcher for, you know, a John Innes. I mean, why, why is that going on? And you kind of learn, you know, who's family and who's not. You learn who's friends and who's not. Um, Their sometimes, hopes and dreams. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you'll see a jockey that will, his only ride of the day, and you'll look at it and you'll go, oh, that's because it's his his, his dad's the trainer or, you know, that there are always reasons. Um, but yeah, I, the very first thing I do when I get a set of PPs is I look at the, the jockeys that they're entered and I circle everyone that's got one ride each day. And then I write only mount on the PPs for that day. So when I go back and I handicap that card and I see, you know, Adam Biscuits has only got one mount today. Okay, well, it's a Joe Sharp, and he rides for Joe Sharp a lot, but he's not riding two of Sharps earlier in the card. What's going on here? I, it 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 draws my attention to it, so I don't. I feel like I don't get caught by surprise too often on that type of thing, but I do feel like a weakness is I'll, I might play too much into it. You know, sometimes a jockey just doesn't want to want to ride the whole day. I was, I was just gonna say, you know, every yeah. time that. Use that logic and backfires and bites me every time. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like sometimes we overthink that, right? We overthink those changes, and and you know it turns around to. And I mean that can be said with anything. I think. Well, and that's one of the things that I've always found so 
you know, awesome about talking to Mike is that he will talk about the trainers and the jockeys. And at one point I'm thinking to myself, okay, but what's their credit score? Because you've got so much information, surely you must know like their social security numbers and all that kind of stuff. Like your depth of knowledge, your depth and breadth of knowledge is truly amazing. I think though that what's advantageous is the years that we have under our belts and Mike more so than me, but I mean, and watching the same circuit, when you watch the same circuit, you get to know very quickly, actually, who rides for who. And, you know, when you're watching the same horses compete against each other all the time, like I spend a lot of my time on the, on the New York circuit, you learn quickly. You'd be, you'd be really surprised how, you know, it, and I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember like who raced on the weekend. So I think, you know, with Mike, with him sticking to that Kentucky circuit, like he said, and very rarely plays other ones, it's enabled him to really focus on those finer details. And it just ends up becoming second nature. You remember them when you look at the PPs, right? Yeah. And like, when when Ancora was brand new when she started and when we started talking about okay the horses are doing this up and down in class and claiming and allowance and changing surfaces when we started talking about the people one of the first thing terms I taught her was you know Pletcher has a, a jockey that he always rides at this track so Ancora do you remember what that's called it's called first call Mike it's their first cause, the first, it's the person that normally rides their horses. So when you, when you know that, you know, some, a trainer has someone as their first call and you, you see their first call is on another horse, you have to investigate why. I mean, all good handicappers know this, um, but that's when you're new and you're learning this, there's, there's a lot more hidden in between the lines than the actual lines of the PPs. So, you know, and you, Mike, you end up, you end up knowing what, what trainers are buddies with each other. And some, sometimes a trainer will enter a horse in a race. So, cause his buddy's got a, a horse that needs to have the race go off. So they'll put one of their, enter their, one of their own horses. And then sometimes it scratches, sometimes it runs, but trainers do each other's favors like that all the time. So that's just kind of what you, what, you know, it's the same stuff that all the all the grizzled handicappers look at and it's do you look at that too Mary? just curious do you look at trainer and, and jockey and stuff too yeah i look at it i don't always take it too seriously i guess something that my grandmother always loved was um john velasquez and todd combos so whenever she saw those that was her pitch um, I was just about to say, though, for the Dubai World Cup, Country Grammar won this race and kind of blew the doors off of uh, Life is Good. But I don't think that was his main writer. I think isn't Flavian Pratt Country Grammar's main writer? He went across Charlie. Well, I, I don't know specifically. I know what you're talking about, and I don't know the specifics, but I also know that, like, over in Dubai, uh, Ward will do it at Ascot too. When he takes some horses over there, a lot of their first call riders won't go for the trip. They'll he'll a lot of times one or two American jockeys will go to Dubai or one or two will go to Ascot. And it just ends up that the American jockeys will end up riding whoever is riding, whoever's running American horses. 
So yeah, it can make a difference. Um, I didn't pay. I didn't handicap the Dubai World Cup. I want to say it was Rosario. Didn't Rosario go over? I might be wrong with that. He might have, but it was it was not him that was on that horse. Um, I, I can't even think of the the name of the jockey who was on that horse. All I know is Flavian Pratt was on Hot Rod Charlie. And yes, I think I double checked that the last two outs before four country grammar were with Pratt. Who was riding? It was Frankie the Tory. Who was riding Hot Rod Charlie? Flavian Pratt. Yeah. Okay. Well, Hot Rod Charlie is a California-based horse predominantly. And I mean, he's certainly run in Kentucky, but the Pratt was out in California. So it's likely he had a relationship with the horse. And they, and the other thing too, is that you learn is that jockeys aren't, jockeys aren't necessarily the best handicappers. (laughs) Um, They're so they guess wrong all the time too. So you can make a nice, you can make a nice score with with a jockey choice, but you can make a nice loss by the by following the jockey that chose wrong, for sure. So that's something that we're always concerned about here when a lot of the jockeys come up because we have the longest turf stretch in North America, our outside turf course, and if you make your move too soon, well, there's a good chance that you're going to get caught in the lane, right? So sure. we don't the tight turns we have the belmont big sweeping turns so everybody here the locals we always try to wait and see like who's but i mean a lot of them like velasquez and castellano and pratt they've all been up here now so they Mm -hmm. they know but we always kind of watch to see okay who's locally going to keep the jockeys on that's right and or who's going to have like the rosario or whatever and what the difference would be like it's it's always something that plays in our minds here, especially when Woodbine Mile comes around or Queen's Plate, because all of we that's when we do get the jockeys come up to rip mm-hmm. to ride, right? So everybody and and it, it is a dilemma because it's like oh well they haven't been normally riding the horse, so would they give the same trip that a jockey who knows the horse and knows the course, you know, was, is that advantageous or is it not? Yeah, it's a that's very, why- that's one way of looking at it too. And then the, the, the complete opposite of that is, you know, Emma Jane doing great up at Woodbine and, and has a, has a, a nice book of business in Woodbine and she's successful. So when Emma Jane doesn't ride a Woodbine Saturday and you see her at Churchill on a Saturday and she's on two horses, you, that makes you why why Emma Jane fly from Toronto for this? She could yeah, for Atfield. I mean, he had a nice weekend this last weekend. So Emma Jane wasn't around, but there there was a horse. I can't remember who it was, but there was a horse that was that Emma Jane was the only one that had ridden that horse. Um, and she didn't make the trip to Keeneland this last weekend. So it it goes both ways, and you're never gonna get it a hundred percent, but it, at least yeah. it, it draws attention to things that are not oh, the buyers are decreasing or the buyers are increasing or look at this surface change. And and that, that, you know, the way you make a, in my opinion, the way you make a nice score is when you see things other people don't see. Mm -hmm. So anybody can do the numbers once they're capable, but it's going to land you on the same similar horses if you're, if you're a speed figure guy, or if you're a pace projector guy, but you make your best scores when you see things that other people don't see 
and you have the intestinal fortitude to put your money behind that opinion because most of your bigger scores on a race are going to be when a horse drastically improves, um, jumps up five, 10 speed figure points, or if you see something else or have a reason to improve a, a positive jockey change could be one, uh, you know, so from the horse standpoint, you want to find horses that are improving from the personal, the people standpoint, uh, finding a reason why someone is doing something that looks like it might be out of character for what they normally would do. Right. And that's where playing one circuit really is advantageous. Absolutely. That's right. You can actually pick that stuff out. That's right. right. Or if there's a horse that you really love and you follow throughout the whole career, race career, wherever they race. Cause like, I mean, up here, we don't, we, we don't have the, the, the same tracks that you guys do. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Where they run at Saratoga and Belmont or, and Churchill. And like, we, we just have Woodbine and we do have out West, but very rarely they ship back and forth. So for here, you know, like we can actually pay attention to things that maybe nobody else would pick up here. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know what, you really try to, and, and that's where you try to form your opinion because in, in, in the end, it's a game of trying to beat everybody else too. That's, that's, that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Cause that's where you get your value, right? Mm -hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Carson, did you have a question? Oh, no, I was just agreeing with Sherry on the uh, longevity of the, well, I guess the stay of the horses at Woodbine. I mean, the most recent example being Pink Lloyd, of course. Uh, we don't get horses like that anymore because, you know, they ship all around and they want, I think that that is good because the trainers or owners are looking for a good spot for their horses. They want to enter in the correct class or race or um, not overface them or, you know, not challenge them or get them a, uh, um, you know, a race off of a longer layoff. Um, but uh, the other sad part about it is you can't follow that one horse for his whole career because they're going to ship around. And then if they do well, then, you know, then they go make babies. <laughs> so, well, sometimes it's disappointing and you can't really get too attached. And you, you, you'll see that sometimes too, when a horse will ship in from somewhere else, like a great example, the most recent one that comes to mind is um, the first weekend of, Keeneland Friday uh, old homestead was on the Friday card um, in the stakes race. Uh, one of the stakes race, uh, I think it, uh, I think it was a Lafayette and Tommy Pompel was named as the rider and it was his only horse that day. And Pompel was there and morning line of 20, one at 11 to one fit on figures but that was Pompel's only, only horse that day. The very next day, Pompel was named on two other horses. Well, excuse me, wasn't named at, on any horses, but he had two other horses on Saturday that he could have ridden, that he had won, that he had ridden the last couple of times out. But Pompel came to Keeneland for that Friday and wasn't there named on a horse on that Saturday. So if, why aren't you staying the whole weekend? If you're going to make the trip, why would you not ride two other horses the next day that you have a chance? And it turns out old Homestead won for fun and the other two horses that he could have ridden on Saturday didn't win. 
So that's what I'm talking about when you when you look at what the what the people are doing now. Sure, in in hindsight, someone could say that's a fluke, or maybe he had days and I didn't know that he got days. Or there's several times where I'll say I'll be like, where where's such and such? Why isn't he riding this horse? And then I'll go research it and oh, he's got he's got five days or he's got ten days. Okay, well you're not going to ride a horse when you're suspended, so that that it doesn't matter who's riding the horse that day because your angle's no good. So I just I try to pay attention to to the horses and 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 their why they belong in a race and why the people are doing what they're doing. They, you, you know, Mike, one of the things you I, so every once in a while I'll get these directives from Mike via text, and one of my favorite directives I think came to me about a year ago when I was handicapping PPs, and it was. Uh, it was basically stay away from the chalk. You're not allowed to choose any horses this week where their odds are, you know, below this or, you know, whatever. And so I've been doing that for, I think, almost a year now. And it wasn't until I think the last three or four weeks where it clicked with me, Mike, why I needed to do that and what I hadn't been doing previously. I have been forcing my opinions on the PPs instead of letting the field dictate, you know, who I rank and, and who I pick, etc. And so one of the things I've been doing as a result of this directive of yours within the last month is finally learning when it's okay to go with chalk and when it's more advantageous to choose the long shot. And the success that I have experienced since this you know, epiphany has taken place. It's just been amazing. So thank you for those directives. I may not get them quickly, but I eventually learned the lesson. Well, so. what you said is when, when we had that discussion, I mean, that's not necessarily something you want to do if you're just playing a, a, a Saturday card of real money. But yeah. at the time you were in the, you were in the contest and you were playing far too short of horses and you just weren't scoring enough points when you were right. So I was trying to I was trying to pop the clutch and get you to look at longer price horses that would, would, would reward you with more points in the contest when you were right. So instead of playing a four to five, play a six to one, seven to one in a contest. And then you started dabbling, I think a little bit in the horse tourneys contest a little bit. And so mm -hmm. th there's a difference between a really good contest horse and then the, and a solid winner if you're only playing win money. So, mm -hmm. but you were, you were playing the favorites all the time because yeah. that's what the, that's what the paper, that's what the PPs were telling you. And that's, Absolutely. that's why they're the favorite. That's what everyone looks at. So look at other reasons to play other horses that give you a longer price because over the long haul, it's, it's, you get more expected value off of those types of bets. That's, that's why we had that discussion at that time. And, but it opens your eyes for future when you're not playing in a contest to look at longer priced horses and give, give them a second or third look if you're playing a horizontal ticket, because you're not going to win very much if you, if you get the favorite in every leg. So beat the favorite or have, or, you know, or embrace the favorite. There's don't play a favorite defensively. Don't, I mean, there's no need to play the three favorites in a, in a leg trying to get through. That's just, those are bad bets. And I know you haven't graduated to that level of, of uh, wagering yet, but when you do, and you know, you'll, you'll hear lots of people, lots of people will tell you, pick one. I mean, you're just cutting into your bankroll if you play them all.
But oh, then again, but then again, it's fun to cast tickets. So that's called a trust exercise, and that's trusting yeah. yourself and having For belief sure. in yourself that you see something different and not being afraid to have that opinion. Yeah. Well, that's, my, that's one of the biggest things is you can't be of your own opinion. It really is like a self-trust fall. It really is. Yeah. It is, and it's been so helpful. Like I, I don't often understand immediately why I'm doing what you tell me to do, but eventually it always, you know, it always reveals itself. But I did bet my Keeneland picks this weekend. And Mike, you may be proud to know that I currently have a four dollar ROI. I'm a buck. I have a positive ROI. <laughs> Woohoo! First time. Have fun, isn't it? It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, I have a final question for Mike. Ladies, do you have a any other questions you'd like to ask him before I ask my most important question? I'll ask no? one really quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Mike, since we've kind of talked about, like, how we look at the forms and kind of, you know, what you really look for versus what other people may look for, is there one particular, like, large or common handicapping angle that is popular amongst a lot of horse players it's something that you just kind of not necessarily discount but is not an angle that you really pay a lot of mind to when looking at the form or handicapping a race it specifically okay most most people have the inclination that to avoid a horse that is long off the shelf um and while I'm not always thrilled to play a horse that's been gone 90, 100, or 180 days, there are certainly trainers, and they don't have to be a, a, a big-name trainer. There are trainers that are very good at getting a horse to run off the shelf. So uh, a lot of times people you'll hear people say, oh, it's, it's going to need this race before it can win. I don't subscribe to that much at all. Um, certainly there are, there are trainers that will give them a race or run them into shape or race them into shape, but you just have to know that from experience. But, you know, yes, I wouldn't be thrilled at seeing a trainer that is one for 76, 90 days plus off. I would certainly probably fade that horse, but when you've got, you know, a good work pattern and a trainer, that's definitely, uh, demonstrated that they can get a horse ready. Like a, a good example, in my opinion is, uh, Graham motion with his horses down uh, in Palm Meadows and bringing them up north. Uh, you'll see a lot of Graham motion horses on the turf, especially that have been on the shelf for a little bit. And Graham motion is pretty good at getting them to run off the shelf because he uses so many different training techniques with their workouts. I mean, when you see a workout line, you don't know if they're running uphill. You don't know if they're running in reverse. You don't know if they're in company. And Graham is pretty, pretty savvy. I, I give Graham motion horses a good look when they're, when they're coming off the shelf like that. So that fading a horse the first time back is, is one that I don't really ascribe to too much. I don't, I don't do that too much. Um, but the opposite of that is I'm a sucker for a first time gelding. Um, but, but not necessarily a first time gelding that, not all first time geldings are created equal. If a horse right. if a horse is shown talent and they're gelding it, I will almost always upgrade that horse. 
if a horse is that's one of my favorite angles too yeah if a horse hasn't shown much talent and now it's first time blinkers first time lasix first time gelding jockey change surface change let's just see how much shit we're throwing mm -hmm. against the wall and maybe one of these things will stick and we're going to end up having improvement those types of first time geldings i'll fade um yeah don't forget the uh, iv iron dextran too yeah. i'd also like to point out that mike broke the seal he broke the seal the cursing that, seal so i was not aware that was a game carson That's, did you win did carson win the money did she say that i would not explicit no it just means carson and i can cuss now so, oh. <laughs> so mike final question before we wrap up and before we do wrap up and i ask that final question please please tune in next week Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, the X Factor Racing Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts, what we can do to improve, what you're loving, et cetera. All right, Mike, final question. Mary, fuck, kill. Oh, Bob no. Baffert, Brad Cox, Todd Fletcher. Mary Fletcher. Got it. God, I really, I really don't want to fuck. Brad Cox, but I'd love to see <laughs> Baffert have the other fate. <laughs> we can talk about this privately, you know, when we've stopped recording. So think it out. Have some good answers ready. I just wanted to see your thoughts. Thank you. Sarah. I just, I just want all the, I want all the horses to come home safe, uh, safely with safe trips. That's what I want. I good agree. answer. Good answer. Excellent answer. Excellent. We're on the answer. family feud now. Just yes. all around. Right. But, but I definitely marry Pletcher. Nice. Okay, good to know. Well, thank you, Mike. Ladies, do you, you want to say goodbye real quick to our adoring audience, all 10 of them? Hey. hey. Go ahead. Go ahead, Miss okay. Sherry. Thank you so much for having us, Mike, uh, or for joining us this week. Once again, you can catch me on Twitter, Sherry Gofilly. Please check out our Twitter and let us know um, what you would like to hear us talk about. Thanks for listening. And this is Aunt Cora Imparo, Mad Fat Teacher on Twitter, echoing exactly what Sherry said. Let us know what you want. This is Mary Rufo. My Twitter handle is MissMaryRufo1. I didn't forget it this time. Uh, just thank you for listening and take care. All right, Carson, sign off. <laughs> uh, Carson, by the way, um, RogueWolf007 on Twitter. It's a long story for another time, but uh, I'll be headed to Stone Street and Lane's End in May. If there are any mares and babies or stallions you'd like to see pictures of, send me a message for a request. And Miss Caitlin, sign off, sweetheart. <laughs> This is Caitlin Free. You can catch me on Twitter at Caitlin E. Free. Um, I'm headed on vacation, but the next place you can see me horse racing wise will be Churchill Downs for the entirety of their spring and summer meet. I will be there working Derby and Oaks and all things Churchill and roads to the Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks. But I'm taking a break this week. Good nice. For Good, for Good for you. And if you see us, if you see us out at the track, come say hello. Don't be creepy, but come say hello. So, <laughs> thank you, Gorgo. Thanks, Gorgo. And Gorgo, do you want to tell everybody your Twitter, Twitter handle just in case they missed it? I'm Gorgonzola44.
your- We love cheese. We all love our cheese. All right. If Thank you, like you sarcasm, If I like, if you like sarcasm. And brutal honesty. I know a guy. Yeah. And thanks again to our producer who uh, is putting up with us weekly. So, all right. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Bye, ladies. Thanks for having me.